Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. Chapter 1 um, and on into chapter 2 a little bit. Um, I'm really excited about this time of meeting together and um, looking at the book of Galatians together. It is tremendously exciting for a couple of reasons, uh, especially Galatians, but I'll come to that in a wee moment, just as we get set up. So I've entitled it uh, A Gospel of Freedom Through Grace, because really grace is, is the principal player in this book of Galatians, and uh, the, the whole story of the freedom that we have in Christ is related in this epistle to this Galatian church. Um, so, Galatians, who were they? Where'd they come from? Um, the portion that we're going to look at now is, is really in chapter 1 and, and up to verse 10 in chapter 2. I've entitled it One Gospel, One Origin, and you'll see that that's really what Paul is, 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 is letting the, his hearers know. Like, this is one gospel, there only is one gospel, and it only comes from one origin. But we'll deal with that as we go along. But who were the Galatians? Well, and it's a really interesting study of where people come from. They can study migrational roots of people by linguistics and look where their languages have taken them. And if you look at the original Proto-Indo-European language group that came out of Mesopotamia and split throughout the world, it just fits perfectly into the biblical model of the breakup of mankind after Babel. But in any event, if we look at the, the Celtic language group, it started off that as far back as we can go into around an area called Belgica, which is southern Belgium today. And from that dark area there you can see in the slide, it spread out and the people group spread out with their language. And this can be traced by the language groups right out to Cornwall, Brittany. Um, so you get the Breton language, the Cornish language, and the, the Irish Gaelic language, because the Gaels are largely the Celts. And another part that the, the Celtic people, the Gaelic people went to was the area in Asia Minor there called Galatia. That's why it's called Galatia, because the Gaelic people settled there. So whenever we're going to look at this book of Galatians, one of the fascinating things I think about it is, you know the way you share a lot of the, the characteristics of the people who went before you? Well, those Galatian people maybe shared, or we share a lot of their characteristics. We are of the same stock, if you like. Those, those people groups that spread out to Galatia were the same people group that spread out to Ireland. And um, so that's just very interesting. And by the way, so that in, in Paul's time, then Galatia was this province of, of Rome. Now in the map, um, sorry for those of you at home, maybe you can't see the map, but I'm just showing a map of the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, that's its entire spread at its greatest peak. And of course, Galatia set up its kingdom, but then whenever the Romans came along, uh, they fought against the Galatians and subdued them. And they then became, like Judea, a province or a kingdom within, a dependent province within the Roman Empire. So as Paul, through Pax Romani, moved throughout the Roman Empire, he was able to move, and he did, through Galatia. Now, so we're in Galatians, and what I think it would be very beneficial is, is for us to read through this first chapter. So we'll just do that. 
how did, how did, just one last thing, how did Paul get to Galatia? Well, as I said, in his first missionary journey, he and Barnabas, and attracted there, moved down through Cyprus, up into Pamphylia, and then they moved through Lystra and Derby and so on, which were the towns in southern Galatia. Timothy came from there too, from Lystra and Derby. So they had been there, lots of churches were planted, and lots of Galatians became believers. Let's just read Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle sent out, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God our Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. These are really strong words by the Apostle Paul. We'll come back to this. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Of course, he's referring here to that Damascus Road experience where, where Jesus himself revealed himself to to Paul. For you for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later I went to Syria and Cilicia, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that were in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Chapter 2. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, now remember Titus was a Greek, uh, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. 
This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. We just pray that God would bless his reading and I pray that even as you were following along, perhaps God was speaking to you and challenging you with some of the things we saw and read. So what was Paul's connection then with the churches in Galatia? Well, as I said, to show you a little map, Paul and Barnabas had traveled through this area on their missionary journey, preaching to, to the folks there. In fact, you'll read a little about it in, in Acts chapter 14 and 13. In Acts chapter 13, um, whenever Paul and Barnabas were still going from synagogue to synagogue throughout the Roman Empire, um, there was a tremendous interest in this message of the gospel of freedom. And, um, but some of the Jewish leaders became quite uh, envious of this. And it was at this point that Paul then turned around and changed his ministry to preaching to Gentiles. You read about it in Acts 13. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. This is to the Jewish folks. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's how we heard about this. That's how we heard about this because Paul then as a revelation of God began to preach, it was unthought of. I mean, who would preach to the heathens? Who would preach to the nations? Surely this most holy faith is kept for the chosen special people, the Jewish people, but no, God revealed, no, the Jews are to be a light to the Gentiles. Now, Paul, I want you to start telling people in Galatia about Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us in verse 48 of Acts 13, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. So that's the background of the connection of, of Paul with Galatia. The purpose of the letter then, well, we've, mentioned, we've sort of seen that in a little video we saw earlier, but the purpose to the letter was, was to challenge um, this notion that had come in. You see, these Galatians heard this fantastic gospel news that you could have your sins forgiven. <laughs> that the guilt you carry about like an albatross around your neck can be severed. That you can be set free, know Jesus Christ and have peace and joy. And it's fantastic. But then some Judaizers, some Jewish believers came along and he says, you know, that's very good. You know that you've got this freedom that Jesus Christ gave you. But, but actually, you know, this is tied into the Jewish religion and 
He knows a lot of stuff that God gave Moses through the law that you guys really aren't, you don't really know about yet because you're only Gentiles. There's this thing about circumcision. I mean, because you're all, you, you men, you haven't been circumcised because you're not. So we need to think about that. And actually, there's a whole thing about ceremonial cleansing. Do you know that we Jews do a lot of stuff? It's come from Leviticus, and then we've expanded on that. There's also the thing, we've seen you out walking on a Sabbath, and you go too far. There's a Sabbath day journey. There's a lot of stuff. And they started to heap onto these young Christians and, and the Galatian churches some of the old laws, you see. And of course, they were a bit confused by this. Uh, you know, how does this work? Do we have to? Does that mean we can only walk up a third of a mile on a, Sunday, a Saturday on a Sabbath? Well, yeah. Does that mean that we? Could, yeah. Does that mean? All oh, right, we've got to do those things. Well, if we've got to do those things, and if that's what God wants us to do, we better do that. Well, Paul was incensed with this, but before he even begins to, to deliver to them, look, this is a problem. You're missing the gospel if you think you've got to get into legalism. He, he sets before them, if you like, his credentials. Paul says, look, I'm, what I'm telling you, I want you to understand that I'm not just making this up. This is real stuff. So he starts to give them his credentials. You see, the false teachers were also, not only were they coming in and saying, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to follow that. They're also saying, and who is Paul? I mean, he's not one of the original disciples, you know. I mean, he, he, he wasn't one of the 12 who walked about. I mean, is he even really an apostle? And so they started to question the messenger. And whenever you can't trust the messenger, how can you trust the message? And that was what they were putting in to the ears of these folks. So let's look at chapter 1. And, and Paul starts off and he says, remember that at the very beginning, that's... Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man. Sent not from men, nor by man. And what he's pointing out is that, look, this message I'm delivering you has, has a supernatural origin. I, we, I didn't just sit and make this up. This is not something that a, a group of committee got together and we said, this is going to be what we're going to do. This, this is a revelation from God. Not by man and not by man. This is hugely important. You see, if you imagine like a group of men had got together and said, this is a new religion we have. And, and, and you know, whenever mankind gets its grubby fingerprints on things, things become very human. You know, you've heard before people say, oh, the Bible's just a book that a lot of men sat down and made up. No, it's not. It's the very theonustos. It's a very living breath of God. It's a living book. It's God's word to us. It's real, it's powerful, it's living, it's active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's an amazing thing when you read the Bible, what it does that if you read Tolstoy's War and Peace or something, it doesn't do. The word of God is powerful and it's revelationary and it's supernatural. And, and Paul underlines the fact that the message I gave you, I was walking, I was going to persecute a bunch of people one time. And God just spoke to me through his son, Jesus Christ. He spoke to me. And I have revelations directly from God. And I want you to know this message is not something that man made up. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. 
Rather, I received it from revelation from Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is absolutely unique. It's unique. Now, we live in a time we've become accustomed to hearing phrases that compare Christianity with other religions in the world. Other religions, and I use that term guardedly. So you hear things about that Christianity is one of the world's main religious faiths. And the more you listen to that, you think, okay, Christianity is one of the mains, the world's main religious faiths. You hear it compared as it is one of the main monotheistic religions, along with Judaism and Islam. And you hear of comparative religion studies, where you place the world's religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, Jainism, whatever it might be, and you place them together, and you do a comparative study. Now, thinking of the Apostle Peter, whenever the Apostle Peter stood before the people, he said something that very clearly said that that is not the case, that that Christianity is not another religion. It really is not. It is absolutely unique. And he stood before the, the leaders in Jerusalem when he had been arrested, and he said this. He said, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is absolutely unique. The message Paul says that he was spreading around is the same message that Peter was delivering. It is unique. There is only one salvation and there is only one way under heaven for salvation to come about and it's through Christ. Paul was very clear. The faith he preached was superlative in its definition. It was supernatural in its source, and it stood in supremacy above all others, which were only feeble imitations of the real thing. The gospel was, and the gospel is, absolutely unique. You see, whenever he was writing to the Corinthians, Paul wrote this. He said, Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, there's two things here I want to sort of think about and to pose to you when we're talking about the uniqueness of the Bible, because to modern sensibilities and to modern ears, this idea of uniqueness, of the onlyness and the only one that's right, if you like, uh, seems overly assertive. It seems a wee bit exclusive and tolerant. Wouldn't it be nice, we say, we hear, if Christianity, if those who preach and believe in Christianity were just a little bit more tolerant of other beliefs and other options? That would be kinder. Well, would it? Imagine... I'm at a road traffic collision. I'm in charge of the crew of the fire service. And we come to that, and the, the driver, I've seen this lots of times, and the driver is seriously trapped in that vehicle. And this has happened a number of times where the ambulance service come along to us, and after taking the vital signs, they say, look, we need him out quickly. And imagine I'm at a, an RTC like that, and we're told, look, this, the driver's badly trapped, bleeding heavily, we need to have that casually out and in the ambulance very quickly or we're going to lose them. 
Imagine as we start to get the team in with the hydraulic cutters and we start to cut away the roof and we start to take off the side of the door and we're cutting down around his feet and it's not comfortable. It can be painful and it may be that what we're doing will cause him a lot of discomfort. Imagine if, as we're doing this, the driver says, hang on a minute, this is hurting a bit. This is uncomfortable. This is my car. You're, you're destroying it. Isn't there some other way? Isn't there some other option? I read somewhere that if you take herbal tea mixed with castor oil, it might slip out in a week or two. Well, that would just be nonsense, wouldn't it? You're not going someone whose life is ebbing away is going to be really pleased that they're so, even if it's uncomfortable, that they are being rescued and being saved. And there's this truth about the gospel that, that it, it has that, it, it may at times be difficult. It may at times be challenging, but it's always good. It's always good news. And that driver trapped in the car is having good news delivered to him as he's being rescued. Let me think then of another thing. Some people get confused then with the options that are thrown out of religious choice. I want to imagine another little picture. What does the existence of forged banknotes tell you? Well, We've all maybe seen them. Some of them aren't very good, done in a home printer somewhere. Others are very good. But what does it tell you? What would, would you think? If you saw a lot of forgeries, you might think, oh, there's a lot of forgeries about. Or you might think, you know what? You just can't trust money. Money's just not trustworthy. In fact, there's so many forgeries, how can you trust any of them? They're all forgeries. No, if you stop to think more clearly, what a forgery tells you is this that a forgery can only be a forgery if it has something to pretend to be. There has to be the real thing for a forgery to exist. And at its very best, the world's philosophies are a weak and feeble imitation of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. You see, but how would Paul prove that? How would he prove that he is a unique messenger or he's a, he's a divine or, or, or real messenger, authentically sent by God with this unique and true and valid gospel? Well, it would need to be a revelation from God himself. And so Paul reminds his hearers, and it would be hearers because the letter would be read out in the church, about his own background. And he says, well, you know my background. He says, you heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. He says, look, you know, you know my background. I was, I was top in my class. I was head boy in Judaism. I was doing really well. And so if you look at my background, that doesn't lead into Christianity. It doesn't lead into what I've discovered of the crucified Christ because I was against it all. My background was anti the crucified Christ. So you can't look at my background and say, oh, well, you're presenting this because of the way you've been, that you've been educated. Paul's saying that, that the message he delivered was not one informed by his early educators. Now, there's a lot of inputs that make you the person you are. Now, genes is one thing. We were just laughing the other day at the wee grandsons, you know, doing wee things that we see our parents 
dead to ourselves, but they, they haven't learned it from us. They sort of have picked it up through our genes. You know what I mean? You, those sort of wee things that your children do. Oh, that's the way Granny Smith used to do that. You know, little things. So we, we, we've got our inputs. We've got our genes. We've got your parents. Your parental background, your family background has informed who you are. Your educators, your teachers in primary school, I can still remember my P1 teacher. I can still remember my P6 teacher telling me, always cut away from you. All things that you, you remember from your schools. And then there's your, the character you are is informed as well by your cultural background that we live in. All those things. But the gospel is absolutely, miraculously transformative. You're, you're not saved because your family you're not saved because although they contributed to helping you but that's that didn't, they didn't save you your culture didn't save you your genes didn't save you that was a miraculous transformative thing jesus when he was speaking he said something he put it in a couple of words that really flummoxed his listeners because this was so transformative this is a miracle the gospel is utterly new and and so the words he used were, you need to be born again. And even the elite of his day said, what, what? They just didn't get it. Because it's miraculous. It's wonderful. In fact, um, Paul writing to the Romans talked about it being transformative. He said not to transform, not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you became a Christian... When you were saved and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it wasn't just a change of mind. It wasn't just a change of sort of cultural direction. It wasn't a change of habit. You now go to church on a Sunday, you know, right? It wasn't just that. God himself came to live inside of you. He made you alive with Christ. He transformed you. You became a new creature. You don't even think the same way you used to think. You are a miracle, a revelationary miracle of the gospel at work in you. That is unbelievable. And so Paul was pointing out, look, I didn't come to this by working it out. And I didn't even come to it by being taught it by the other apostles. And for the sake of time, it will probably be another eight or nine minutes if that's all right. We'll start a bit later. Um, he, he then goes on and he talks about the other apostles and he says, you know, I, I, I didn't consult any man. I didn't go up to Jerusalem. Yes, I spent 15 days with Peter and I met G James at that time, but we didn't sit down and they didn't sit down and say, now let us educate you what it means to be what we're teaching the gospel is. No, Paul says, it was actually the Spirit of God. And the amazing thing is, whenever I went to the disciples and with my message, they said, that's good. You've got it. That's right. God has told you. You've been given it by revelation. That is exactly what Jesus Christ taught us. Now continue on and you go to the Gentiles and we, Peter and James and John and so on, will continue with the Jews. So it was miraculous. He goes on and he, he says, you know, the, even the very pillars in the church, even those who, who were with Jesus, even they said, even they said, 
They give me the right hand of fellowship when they recognize the grace given to me, and they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. Verse 10, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. So Paul has highlighted to these Galatians his orthodoxy. In other words, look, this is a valid message from, from a valid messenger. So finally, what was the issue then? What was the problem that he was so animated about and so blunt about and of course it's this verse that comes in in verse 6 I am astonished I am I, I marvel you know whenever Jesus marveled at the belief of the Syrio-Phoenician woman she, he was astonished whenever he marveled at the unbelief of the Jews that he marveled that he was astonished that's the same word here and, and Paul says, I'm absolutely astonished what you've done, you Galatian folks. And he's really blunt with them, actually. Really blunt. Um, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And as I said earlier, these new teachers were coming in and they were just saying, look, um, you know, you need to tithe, you need to do the Sabbath day stuff, you need to right, circumcise the boys, you need to... And they started to give them all this stuff that was just taking away their joy. They loved being saved. They loved the liberty of having sins forgiven. It was wonderful. And now they were getting a bit, all right, okay, well, if that's what we have to do. Let me read you that, what Paul said in another, a modern paraphrase, not a translation, but I think it's a really good way it puts it. And the message says, I can't believe how you waver. How easily you have turned traitor to him who called you by the grace of Christ by embracing an alternative message. It is not a minor variation, you know. It is completely other, an alien message, a no message, a lie about God. Those who are provoking this agitation among you are turning the message of Christ on its head. Paul was incensed. Now listen, he's not unique. Christ himself Christ himself, when he was being hindered by, the, by legalism, turned to those legal Jews and he said in Matthew 15, verse 6, all the things that they were doing, you know, the legalism of trying to please God, he said, thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! This is Jesus. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You see, more religion is not good news. Every religion in this world is based on doing stuff. It's all based on you know, going through a set of rules or following the religion's rules and by doing stuff, you're going to be pleasing God. And hopefully, fingers crossed, at the end of it all, when everything's added up, you'll have done enough good stuff. And even when Christianity deviates into cults from that, the Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, the Cuneites, the two-by-twos, whatever it might be, they all have their own set of, this is what you must do, this is how it must work, and if you follow these sets of rules, then, you know, you have a good chance, well, fair chance, of, of being accepted by God whenever all the dice are finally thrown. 
Jesus himself was especially strong in condemnation of dead religion as a way of satisfying God. Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, he says in Matthew 23. You hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice a son of hell as you are. Gentle Jesus, make him mild. When it came to religion replacing faith in Christ, think of what Jesus was like with sinners. He welcomes them in, he eats with them, he discusses the love of God with them, and he directs them into a relationship with himself. But those who think they have things right, they're religious people, those are the ones to whom Jesus speaks like this. I want you to imagine this, and we're coming towards our end. I want you to imagine I give you an unbelievable gift. Neil, this is for you. Right, bro? You're going to like this. It's for all of you. Imagine I give you this gift. I happen to own the island of Capri. You maybe didn't know that. It's a beautiful island off the southern coast of the Bay of Naples, near Sorrento. There's 12,000 people living on it, and half of them are millionaires. It's, it's a really lovely, but I actually own it. Lock, stock, and barrel. It's all mine. The yachts are mine. The villages are mine. The palaces on it, the mansions, they're all mine. I own the water five miles out around it. It's all mine, and I am giving it to you. It's yours. A gift. And you say, yeah, that's, that's, oh, that's amazing, but you know what? I, I just can't take that. I just can't. That's just too big. I can't take that. I need to pay for that. And so you go to your piggy bank and you read your piggy bank and you present to me, say, look, I just can't take that gift. I really do want it, but I feel as if I ought to pay for something. So you've rated your, and you give me 47 pounds and 22 pence. And I look as you smugly hand over this money. I shake my head in sorrow. Not only have you not even begun to meet the cost, but you have clearly demonstrated you have no idea what it's worth. This is the freedom that we have in Christ. You see, Paul preached freedom from root and slavishly trying to pay for the greatest gift from the greatest giver to we, the greatest sinners. (laughs) Salvation is free. We are set free. Of course, that doesn't mean we have to carry on like nothing happened. And I imagine if I give that to you there, Neil, and to the rest of you, if I give you that gift to Capri, you would want pretty quick to get out there, (laughs) to enjoy the benefits of it, to be there, to spend time there, to swim in its crystal waters, to revel in the fact that it's all yours. And when Christ comes to live in your life, he changes it. You want to be with him. You want to live for him. You want to serve him. Not because you're going to earn anything, because it's a gift that he's given you and you're just set free and the bondage is broken. A saved life is a life of liberation from bondage and a life of peace that religion will never, ever provide. And you will want to obey him. You will want to follow him. You will want to please him. And it will be freedom to do so.
Hmm. Finally. To steal a verse from Keith speaking in chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We can be bound by many things. Trying to impress others or even trying to impress God by our outward behavior. By your own flesh doing stuff. Trying to please God by your personal effort and finding every time you build up that edifice, it just falls down again to your desperation. Or perhaps you're living a performance-driven life and it has only ever led you, as Jim Crooks told us one time, to a life of anxiety. Or perhaps you are bound by a sense of guilt for what you have done, for that thing you keep doing and have so much trouble with. And so you try to please God by punishing yourself. And then you find it difficult to fellowship because you feel so bad about yourself. You're so unworthy. Who am I? And you try to make yourself feel worthier and it just never seems to work. Paul says it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. The answer is to worship God and the freedom he's given you. To recognize your failure, to give it to God and ask him for the strength that works within you in your weakness by the power of Christ to live to please him. And never forget this, the gospel is good news. Never forget it, folks. The gospel is such good news. God bless you. Sorry for going over the time. May he lead us and guide us as we continue in the study of his word. God bless.